This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm Scott. Hi, I'm Marissa. We're going to talk about The Drowned World, a 1962 science fiction novel by a obscure British writer named J.G. Ballard. Oh, Ballard. Okay. I heard of this guy. Um, I don't know how many things of his I've read before. Um, but I, I do think I did listen to the Drowned World audio drama, uh, that came out on BBC radio years and years ago. I know you guys haven't had a chance to hear it. Um, mm. I didn't remember it very well until I found it again. And I'm like, oh yeah, this seems kind of familiar. Um, but then I just read the book and it's quite different. Um, the audio drama is only an hour, whereas this is six hours. On the other hand, um, there's also a original novella version of this book that has the same uh, ending. And it's only an hour <laughs> and 14 minutes really? to read, something like that. Yeah. Huh. Um, and that's in um, Science Fiction Adventures. It's what you sent through. Science Fiction Adventures, number 24. January um, 1962, I think. Yeah, right. So it, it would uh, the longer version came out later that year. Yeah, um, but if you look at the, uh, the text, it, it has the song that the guy sings that's... There's uh, interesting things going on in there. And then it has the that little um, note that he writes at the end. Interesting. So none of you guys have read the no. original novella? Right? No, but no, I it's not. so much no. shorter, right? This is my first uh, ballad of any type that I Ooh, know of, cool. that I'm really? aware of. Yeah. I've, I've read a bunch of his stories. And mm-hmm. um, what's what's the novel I read of his? Oh, Brain Freeze. There's a whole bunch out there. One. There's... Um, a crash, yeah, High Rise, Empire of the Sun is his. High Rise. Okay, that's a later yeah, novel. Because that's a later one, and then I and then I saw the then I saw the uh, the movie of that one. There's one called yeah, The Concrete uh, Island that I read. I was surprised, you know, and I, I may have known this, but I it, it you know when I was looking around after reading this that he did Empire of the Sun. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, yeah, based the novel, on the life, and I've yeah. never read the novel, but I did see the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was interesting. Starring a very, very young Christian Bale. Hmm. Hmm. Yep. Which yeah. Is, so he so he had a really interesting life, starting starting off in uh, the end of end of Imperial China and <laughs> going through to become uh, part of the new wave in, in Britain. Yeah, and this is only his second novel. Yeah, so, this is this is early. I mean, yeah, the first well, one he wrote is The Wind from Nowhere in '61, and then The Drowned World in '62. Uh, well, and then after this, we have the Burning World and the Crystal World. Are they all related? Does anybody know? Or um, they're, they're thematically related. They're not yeah. the same verse, but the kind of thematic explorations of people in the apocalypse. I'm, I'm like halfway through the Crystal World as well. Oh, cool. Um, which I have been for ages because I I'm in way too many book clubs and things that <laughs> mean I have to like read certain books at certain times. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, so what's the what's the disaster in the crystal world? People turning into crystals. 
Oh, <laughs> which is next for us, I think. Yeah, right. like na- nature is turning into. Pixels. I remember a Star Trek episode where somebody could press a button and turn someone into the, a little crystal. <laughs> oh yeah, into a little, into a little like uh, octahedron. Yeah, the, the, those right. aliens from the Andromeda Galaxy. I forgot the name of the episode, but I remember which one he talked about. And then he crushes one of those things just to show their power, and Kirk goes, "No." So what about the burning world? Is that um, it's a uh, lack of water? Lack of water. Okay. This is too much water. That one is a lack of water. I want to point out that uh, I, I don't know if it was Scott or uh, Paul. Somebody said it was Imperial China. It's quite the opposite. It's Imperial uh, occupation of China by th- the international community. He was raised in the Shanghai settlement, international mm-hmm. settlement, right? So he's an outsider to the war with Japan, but it's goes right into their territory. This is like a when he was a kid, right? He he was I think he was born there. Um and this is a territory occupied by France, the uh, United States, Britain, you know, Germany, Norway, basically every, you know, everybody who isn't Chinese who wants a little piece of China. Um Shanghai was like sort of had a mini Hong Kong inside of it that was a way for them to, you know, extract value out of China. So it's not like, I, I think this is important because I, I was thinking about how much, you know, growing up during World War II, how much of what we see in this book shows up in Empire of the Sun and in probably his own life. Like, uh, he's a, psycho- a psychiatrist or almost a psychiatrist, psychology guy, right? You guys know about this? I mean, he did study psychoanalysis. Yeah. So um, I think he's kind of mining his own psyche. And that's why this book is so weird. And that's why it's such a Marissa book, I thought. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I mean, mean the whole like deep time thing that's going on in the mentality of the characters. But also like the the concern with the draining of, of the sea and seeing what's down there, right? It's it's about the subconscious. Yes, yeah. and I, I, and the horror that that the the main characters have at that. I mean, it, it's much more than much more a physical, much more than physical. It's the psychological horror of having those secrets revealed. I mean, our main character is the last one, notably, to dream at all. And yes, it's, and it's kind of very disturbing for him. But yeah, the actual draining of that whole area to expose what's underneath is is a traumatic event in the book. And do you that's see why I like the new wave stuff so much? Because it's mm. always like, here's the plot of all the things that are happening, and the character's mind is disintegrating. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yay, disintegration. <laughs> yeah, I, one thing that surprised me about it, you know, you you see this, uh, like if the drowned world had been written today, I think the the cause of the world being drowned would have been, you know, man made. Um, so this isn't right. really an environmental novel. It's uh, because it's happening because of the sun, right? The sun, yeah, yeah. the like, sun gets a little hotter, right? It's like climate fiction before we were thinking about men, like human-made climate. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think you and can for that you reason, can read it both think, ways. You know, like uh, you guys have said, it's a psychological thing. Um, but we're not we're not dwelling on you know the sins of mankind making this happen, right? Instead, I don't I don't like, know. Okay, this is the world we're in, and there's almost like a it's almost like an acceptance and a moving forward, like a progression, which is kind of like what I feel that the guy wants to do. You know, that's why he ends up going south. 
you know, but it is a psychological thing. But to me, it's, it's almost a metaphor of um, going into the future or going into the past mm. and, and the, the, the draining of that lagoon are the guys that want the past back. You know, they're saying, oh, let's recreate what we had. And he's like, you know, I know this is unknown and scary, but I want to walk forward. So rather than move north, he wants to go south. Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's definitely that, but I I think you can also analyze it the other way. Just like thinking, everybody does have some familiarity with Empire of the Sun, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't really remember it. Okay, well, basically, it's a kid growing up during the Japanese occupation, right? A Western yeah. kid, um, so he's not Japanese. He can't identify with the uh, invaders exactly, but they're an everyday reality. Um, and, uh, the adults are really not useful because <laughs> they're all distracted by the fact that, you know, they're under siege and such. So it's basically a kid on his own. Um, but if you think of the imagery of, of the title alone, that's going to help you empire of the sun, right? And the way the, the Japanese empire is, if you remember it from world war two, you know, videos or whatever they would sh- films. They would show like uh, the Nazi occupation of Europe with you know the swastika over you know what parts of Europe is occupied, right? Um, and they would do the same for China's occupation by Japan, and they would show what parts are occupied by the sun, the radiating sun of that of that empire flag, right? Mm-hmm. Imperial flag, and. At the end of this book, we have an image of a guy who's blind, right? His legs are burnt stumps, right? His uh, eyes are cancerously, you know, uh, uh, blind, but the uh, but he can still see the light, the light of the yeah, sun. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the only thing he can see. You know? And then the next book is The Burning World. Again, a problem with the sun. The sun is a symbol, right? <laughs> As well, as it isn't just uh, about an environmental disaster. I mean, this is really poor, hard SF, right? <laughs> it's not hard SF. That's my point, is it's not good, hard SF. So if you look at it that way, like, um, there are, I think, subsequent novels probably by Kim Stanley Robinson that deal with uh, the effects of global warming, right? And, yeah, 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 and then yeah, that's yeah, exactly... Like New York 2150 and stuff, yeah. Right, that's exactly what this book isn't. Right, right um, exactly. And that's what the new wave was, right, Marissa? It wasn't it... Um, I mean, they were stepping away from the didactic stuff and going into stylist, um, almost fantasy, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. with science fiction tropes, but exploring different themes with it. I don't yeah, think... Especially girl. psychology. Yeah, and I don't yeah. think um, we... We should like say, you know, he's trying to do, fit into the new wave. I think what happens is he's a product of a different era, right? Wait, trying to fit into it? Didn't he almost kind of start it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's. But you know, like it, we could put Frederick Pohl in the new wave, right? Mm-hmm. And people do, right? And we talk about it as a period. But I think like this is—he's much more like Philip K. Dick. This guy, um, he's got his own psychology going. He's not trying to fulfill like some ethos. He's not doing a uh, a plan to you know. He doesn't start with a constitution (laughs) and say this is how we are going to write science fiction. Rather, he embodies it. Yeah. And then other people are saying this is that. 
I feel like that's kind of what it is. Like not so much as something that they were, I mean, some of them are writing to it, but yes. it's almost like taking the, the leash off, you know, like it's like, they're just writing what they're thinking about. Right. And that's, that's what uh dangerous visions was, right. You know, the Harlan mm-hmm. Ellison collection, which mm-hmm. was, you know, there were all these stories people were writing that were getting rejected. And so he, they just did an anthology and he said, you know, write what you want to write. Mm-hmm. Let's get it in here. And uh, it was a huge success. And then, People started buying new wave stuff. I, I want to point out that that is actually how Weird Tales started as well. There was a I, lot of genre restriction. There was a railroad magazine. There was an air magazine, an air pilot magazine. There was uh, saucy fiction going under the spices, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. There's uh, science fiction just starting up. And there was all these stories that didn't fit. And they're sort of like, these are really good stories, but I can't, I can't put it in this magazine. I can't put it in that magazine. I'm just going to give it the label weird. And I think that this <laughs> so is uh, the, you know, we're seeing the new wave as that, right? So people saying, let's give it an, uh, if there was a magazine called New Wave Magazine, it would have made sense. The magazine, uh, Science Fiction Adventures is a British mag. Um, it is not really, um, normal sf american style it's it's more british it's a bit weirder um it has some arthur c clark and stuff like that but it it has um these sort of odder stories even though it has that title and then thinking about what this book reminded me of i was like holy shit it's basically what i thought of this book as because i never read it before i thought of it as um annihilation but done way differently yeah, that's I a good that too. I did notice a couple of things that felt kind of annihilation. Very annihilation-y, right? We like, don't have the we don't have the alien or the or the presence of Area X doing things. It's basically the Earth itself kind of reverting and changing yes. and mutating and just the and whole atmosphere. Evolving. Yeah, and it even yeah. has that crystal stuff at the end, right? In fiction, but nature. His his starting uh, sort of not it's not his hypothesis it's his explanation or his obsession uh, that is ballard's is this idea of when you're um uh, just a little zygote your zygoteness goes through all the stages of your evolution right what's this called um uh, um ontogeny recapitulation is phylogeny there you go that's thank you paul Um, where you, you start with gills and a tail and then, uh, you know, I don't know, you get all hairy and then you swing yep. from vines and eventually you come out of the cave without a club. You come out with a, 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 a four iron, <laughs> you know, wow. <laughs> some sort of, uh, golf club instead of a regular wooden club. And that all happens inside your mom, right? While you're developing. And, uh, we see this when, you know, you're a little kid and you, if you do, I don't know if kids still do this, you go down to the, uh, creek and you get a little cup full of pond scum and you see the tadpoles in there, right? The tadpoles are like, they're pre frogs, right? Right, right. And, and that is kind of what's going on in here is, is he is saying humanity is, is developing, not or regressing, retrogressing, right? And right. that's bullshit. 
but not if it's your cool, interesting idea for your psychology of your own brain and your fears and stuff. He isn't really doing it a science thing. But on the other hand, uh, the Earth has gone through these new stages, right? And uh, maybe we're going through one right now, right? And mm-hmm. things do change. So are we yeah, going to be swinging? Super... Yeah. Go for it. I was going to say, yeah, I agree. It's not super sciencey, but just really like that focus on the nature and the climate. Like earlier when you said something about this isn't a climate disaster book, like I instantly wanted to push back against the word disaster because I guess I was like so hypnotized by the story that I was like, no, it's not a disaster that the world is covered in water and plants again. Like I'd be with that dude, like Hmm. walking south into the nature and it's kind of like a civilization versus nature notice all the military aspect of it it right it's a rejection of of the militarization of mankind to fight against this Mm -hmm. right and it's a it's almost like you know well mankind has taken some bad turns right you just look at highways and things you know full highways and cars and you wonder how are we going to get out of this thing you know how do we how can we reset this to get to something that is actually going to be sustainable um, and, and that's how I felt about this book, you know, and about the main character, you know, like when, again, when they, when they redid the lagoon or emptied it thinking that, uh, Hey, this was better, you know, we need to get back to here so we can progress yeah. from there. And he, uh, the main character was like, Hey, we're progressing. This is, this is progression, you know, that's happening right now. It's almost like a next stage of evolution kind of a thing, but we need to leave this stuff behind in order to move forward. Yeah, it also reminded me a lot of a book that I'm not a fan of, uh, Kurt Vonnegut book called Galapagos. Oh yeah, I'm not. Oh, a fan of that I haven't book read either. that yet. Yeah, I don't. I, I think there's something wrong with the way I interact with Kurt Vonnegut because I think of him as this self-satisfied and smug, and I know that that's not actually how he is. But, but that's why a lot of his fiction comes across. It comes across that way. It, in the same way that, you know, Heinlein come, kind of bugs, bugs me. But I, I also like Heinlein's ideas. Whereas, or a lot of them anyways. Uh, whereas with Kurt Vonnegut, I think, like, I got your point, bud. And I don't like your point. <laughs> like, that book is about uh, a shipwreck, you know, and, and the people who survived the shipwreck eventually evolve into basically seals barking seals on the beach rutting and <laughs> and eating fish and and really yeah yeah and <laughs> and the thing is is i understand why he's making this point but i i it makes me annoyed because maybe it's hitting too close to a truth that oh, there's a lot of reality i just prefer not to dwell there you know, mm-hmm. I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea of devolution as a, I, I don't think it's possible. Um, but in that case, I think he's not even saying it's devolution. He's just saying that's our, that's a, the next stage of our evolution or something like that. And really anything like that in, in SF, it's like a, um, it, it can't, it can't really be science, right? So like when I read, um, when I read uh, Protector by Larry Niven, this is about uh, finding out why humans are so so like the way they are. Re- really, we're a 
baby version of another species, right? That is n- never goes through this um, transformation. Very, yeah, and, the, and it's completely yeah. bullshit, right? This is not a not a um, anything close to what the reality of humans are. But he knows that. And so what he's actually doing is pointing to a number of things that we have and then saying, if this happened, here are the massively horrible consequences to it. Whereas here, uh, and with Vonnegut, I think, uh, it, actually, they're quite different, Vonnegut and, and Ballard. Ballard is mining his own psychology, I think, in a way that Philip K. Dick is. And that's really, inter- really interesting. But, uh, with Vonnegut, I think he's, he's saying something about humans as a whole and making a wry point. You know, right. with his other, st- his, uh, his other works, you see that too. I don't, I mean, he obviously minds his own psychology as well. Um, but, uh, did you guys notice all, like, all the guns in this book? Um, yeah. there's like yeah. Thompson's and he's got a, 45 automatic, right? These are all World War II era weapons. This story is set 200 years in the future or something like that, 150 years in the future. Those are all World War II weapons that would have been used in the Pacific, right? And the the guy who's dying there, uh, you know, that vision of the man with the stump, burnt stumps for legs and eating berries and, right? This is probably something that actually happened to our author that he saw yeah, i wondered that somebody so who was terrible oh so real like oh, it's yeah. hauntingly real right and th- notice that in in the uh pistol there was two bullets left right one for that guy who's going to catch he's going to see again he thinks and one for himself right it's very dark mm-hmm. this is not a uh, <laughs> this is not a oh Happiness and light. This is a very dark story, even though it's, it's got the sun, right? This bright sun that's radically changed reality. If you, if you, uh, know a lot about the, uh, World War II in the Pacific, the way the British dealt with their colonies is they basically said, we're, we're coming to save you. You got to fight to the last man. And they were lying to the colonists. They're saying, there's no way we can, we, we, we'll just get demolished. We're not ready for a war that far away. So they abandoned Singapore and they abandoned Shanghai. They abandoned Hong Kong. A bunch of Canadians got sent there and, you know, we're reinforcing you with more colonial troops. What happens? They're gone. They're in concentration camp for the rest of the war. And that is a horrible feeling (laughs) To have it revealed to you, you know, after I'm sure you were lied to by Churchill, right? The people in, in Singapore don't forget, right? They're angry with what happened, that the, the way they were abandoned. And that psychology, I think, is, is built into this, this novel. So we have people running away from the military. Whatever they're doing here, it seems to be gathering supplies to take them back to Greenland, right? The plot here is very dreamlike. Um, I didn't really follow it very well. It, it was a very dreamlike book. It's all about the description of everything. And it's a very beautiful yeah. description. But I'm like, I don't know who the characters are, really. I don't know what the motivations are. Why is this guy running away? 
And we are left to infer that, right? I mean, even what they're doing, it's described in a way like they're, um, what are they doing? Like a biological, um, like taking records of what kind of plants are growing there yeah. or how the world is changing. But then even the reports that they're sending back to um, whatever the city is called, New Bird or something, mm-hmm. they're not getting read. Like it's like the science they're doing is total is totally meaningless. Yeah. Yeah, and they and they kind of know it. They, they kind of yeah. say like, yeah, Bert, yeah, the, the stuff they're sending back is worthless. There's no point to it anymore. Yeah, they send fake science back to see if anyone notices, and there's mm-hmm. no response. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's and, and notice that the, what they're actually willing to pay for, and there's this black market, right? Is the industrial equipment, right? The the pirates that are out there that they're supposedly there to protect. But they're also, when people run away, when they desert, um, we have to hunt them down. Why? Yeah. It's all about control. It is all about control. And keeping control of sort of what the beliefs are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something else that you had during World War II was a hell of a lot of censorship, right? So you can't the, – the newspapers are under the control of the government. They – have official censorship and the documents will say this past censorship. It'll have like stamped on the front. So people know that their, their reality is being censored and they accept it and they say, it's good that the government isn't telling me what's going on. <laughs> and that's not a good thing, right? Now, you know, when you look at the, uh, uh, at the media that we have, right? The new thing that just happened was now, uh, everybody's getting, on Twitter, they're getting a, like a little sub thing that says state, uh, Russian state affiliated media or Chinese state affiliated media. Doesn't say that for CNN. Doesn't mm-hmm. say that for NPR mm-hmm. and all the uh, official candidates for American offices, uh, in the upcoming election are getting these little subheads, right? Um, because America's the good guys. But, but America's freedom. Uh, there would be nothing bad would ever happen. But anymore. the company itself, Twitter, is an American company that right. is controlled by, you know, so like this is um, uh, this is a perennial problem and you can feel it. But most people, they don't pay, pay attention to that kind of detail. It doesn't really matter. They think, oh, you know, I don't like Facebook or I, I like Facebook, but they don't like think about it. And that is not going to go on when you're a kid whose parents are telling you one thing and then you see the reality of going what's going on outside you know with those planes dropping there's a lot of like world war ii imagery at the end with the machine gunning aircraft and stuff right this is not a doesn't really make sense as a plot uh if you're trying to say there's uh, a community off in Greenland, somewhere in the north. Maybe there's one in the south. That's what I kept thinking, right? North and south poles, uh, the latitudes and stuff. They, they kind of imply it, but right. Yeah, but, but, yeah, but, but we've got yeah. this city that's not even really named. It's London, right? Mm-hmm. And they, my understanding what is it is that it was London, but I don't know where I got that from. Right. Well, it's sort of on the cover, right? Wait, um, are you talking about? The city that they drain. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It's no, they, they definitely say it's, it's specifically said they say the street okay. names and stuff when they drain. Okay, good. Yeah, well, the yeah. the street names it, will help I mean, for sure. The, I mean, aside <laughs> from the one one character who was who grew up there, and I, I think you're wrong about two hundred years in the future. It's it, not that it's, far in the future. I can't remember. I, I that doesn't but, say in the book. 
it doesn't but, say. But one of the characters grew as as up in London. I mean, it's like, it's like yeah, he's going. Yeah, that was like seventy or, years ago, though, right? That's right. He finds his his old like um, office or his home or something. In mm-hmm. the, right, and, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, looking for museums and things. So it's like like fifty or so years after the flare started. Whenever the flare started, I I I feel like this is a a dream book, as in like he moves, you know, moves from. Shanghai, um, out of, out of the Empire of Japan, back to the UK, and he's having these fever dreams. And those images, like, really haunt him. And that's how this book came to be. It, it wasn't like, you know, the earth has gone through cycles, and it could be that in the future, uh, the seas will rise. I think that it, it kind of came the other way. It was organically that's why the dreams of the characters are being affected it's because he's all the characters and it's it makes for a very odd book hmm. but also it, it, super stylized I, I i i he's very poetic he i, I mean I, I one of the things i appreciate about ballad is his style of writing and immersing into it I, there's a couple things i wanted to pick up on from before we were mentioning it, we mentioned Dangerous Visions, and Ballard actually does have a story in Dangerous Visions mm-hmm. called um, called The Recognition, but that wasn't the original story that was supposed to be in the book. The original story that he submitted to Harlan Ellison was, and I've read it, and it's just a mind screw, mm-hmm. is the assassination of John Fitzgerald Kennedy considered as a downhill motor race. Mm-hmm. That's a very, <laughs> wow. very, very weird Ballard story. I, I, I'm not sure I quite understand. It's not my favorite ballad story. My favorite ballad story is, is either Bilenium or The Concentration City. I like The Concentration City because it's like this this guy gets on this like subway interstellar train that goes forever and he winds up back where he started. It's kind of like a it's almost almost like a library of Babel sort of approach to the universe. Sort of thing. he gets mm-hmm. on a train, just keeps going and winds up back where he started in space and time. And Bilenium is kind of like an overpopulation sort of thing. And they find this little tiny bit of room in the building and they find, and they think this is treasure because they actually stretch their arms out and have freedom for a little bit before, before the landlord finds out and just rents that all out too. So that's, mm. again, it's all about control and what, what, what people are allowed to do because the character in, uh, in Constitution City is all about looking for free space and looking for freedom. So. I mean, I, his characters are kind of obsessed with sort of thing, and I think that goes back to his, you know, growing up in this, in Shanghai and being under the thumb of, of the Japanese occupation. He's, he's, he's looking for his characters to be free, if not in body, but in mind. Um, there's a, uh, it got turned into a novel. I, I heard the audio drama of it called The Concrete Island. You guys know this story? Yeah. By Ballard? No. Yep. no, I don't. Okay, yeah, so that, 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 yeah, that, that's the one on the on 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 the on on the median thing of the highway. Yeah, right. So you know, in a city like Los Angeles, Marissa, there are these massive highways um, that intersect with each other, and then there's sort of these triangles that appear. That they're called concrete islands, right, between the roads. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where the homeless people live, right, <laughs> underneath yeah. the the uh, overpasses and these sort of places that are public spaces but not occupiable that's where the whole of the story takes place uh, we'll read the the plot introduction it says from wikipedia entry a car accident leaves robert maitland again car accidents are something that 
really infect Ballard's writing with a novel like Crash and the movie Crash, right? Her accident leaves Robert Maitland, a wealthy architect, in the midst of concealing his affair with a colleague, stranded in a large area of derelict land created by several intersecting motorways. Though surrounded by motorists and within sight of large building, Maitland is unable to escape the median strip and must struggle for survival. Along the way, he encounters other inhabitants of the median strip, which he comes to call the island, including a teenage prostitute who hides out in an abandoned air raid bunker, and an acrobat who became mentally handicapped in an accident and now salvages car parts for bizarre, bizarre shamanic rituals. Doesn't this sound like a lot like what we're seeing in this book? Hmm. Like the guy who's digging up old guilt things to make a uh, what, a place of worship inside the ship. It's so weird. He he learns to survive by scavenging discarded food from littering motorists, and eventually comes to think of the island as his true home. Conflicts ensue with the other inhabitants, and before long, Maitland is struggling to determine whether he was truly meant to leave the island at all. This is not a normal as that book right it's not about a guy who crash lands on a planet and finds some aliens this is about a guy who crash lands on a, a, a in the city and then finds some homeless people mm-hmm. and that's the science fiction right it's like it says there's this thing called a concrete island that's what they call them in the uk right and he sees that and he says that's just a, a little abandoned area But I've been on islands. If I was on that island, it would be difficult. (laughs) That's the book. Ryan's like, wow, that's a very Philip K. Dick style of move, you know? Mm -hmm. You take the domestic, the domestic and internal issues, and then externalize it in in a new world. Uh, You're worried about uh, your job. You're worried about your boss. And you make your boss a robot. Right. <laughs> that is how Philip K. Dick deals with his psycho- psychological issues. And it seems the way Ballard, who is explicitly a psychoanalysis, he almost became a psychoanalyst, right? Dealing with yeah, it. I think so, yeah. It's so interesting and totally weird, but internal. So it's like getting to know him by seeing what's obsessing him. Why do things happen the way they do in this book? Because that's how it's happening inside of him. Looking for meaning. There's no meaning there. The, why did the crash happen? Why, would, why did this war happen? There's no meaning there. It's, it's not because of something you did. It's just what happened. Yeah, it feels like very much about that, like, just how futile it is to fight against forces that are so much bigger than our safe mm-hmm. nature. Yep. Climate the sun. change. Um, yeah, the sun, which is is all powerful, right? And mm-hmm. the the symbol of the sun is it's like it it gives you life, right? It it causes the water to evaporate and go up into the sky and then come down and in, in, uh, in the earth turning makes it cool and um, it goes away and it, it comes down somewhere else. And it does it relentlessly, whether you're asking for it or not. It's a godlike. And yeah. so at that image of the end with a guy staring at the sun, uh, which is something you're not supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it, it's like, well, that's not good, right? Yeah, it was actually really interesting because we were talking before the show, like, I'm reading this while we're in this, like, smoke-filled mm. Uh, world yep. of California right now. There was no sun yesterday at all. Wow. wow. There was just like mm. this little uh, red patch behind the smoke clouds. And so I was going out and taking photos of this weird world and then reading this book about this dude following the sun. Mm. And I was so like, I just wanted to be here. I wanted to be where he was and following that sun and then all that lush stuff. Mm. But uh, while I was reading, I also had that like, that weird red spot you get in the vision because mm. <laughs> I was taking photos of the sun and then they had this like strange spot on the page while I'm reading this weird. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Mm. But it really like, yeah, I guess that's what it's about, right? It's like sometimes like stuff like this is happening and there's nothing mm-hmm. you can do about it. Mm-hmm. Like You can survive it. Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. like as an individual, I mean, obviously, yeah. if everyone joined together, we could, but... Could do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is so much about isolation, though, right? <laughs> all the characters are yeah. isolated. It's it's very interesting. Think about all the different characters in it. I, one of the things I noted in the audio drama is uh, I think they changed the gender of the sergeant. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, they made her a female. And I mean, that's kind of cool because the one woman in this story. Yeah, is it's <laughs> very interesting. And like, why are these people acting so like there was this whole section with um, it's like they're the fear of the scientific effect, right? Or not scientific effect, I guess, scientific description of what's happening to the world. You know, the iguanas are taking over, right? The uh, everything is getting tropical. Um, and then we have this, this concern about the blacks, right? The quadroons and, uh, and the shamanic stuff that's going on, the voodoo style things like, um, and then the, these very British, I, I don't know, maybe it's the narrator, <laughs> the British, um, kind of like reacting to this is like reverse colonialism or something. And so it's, it's like, well, that, there's some random racism. Why is that? Um, because random racism was going on, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't get the sense that Ballard is saying, oh, yeah, racism's great. He's saying, this is what it was, or this is how it is, or this is how it could be. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. and that's weird. <laughs> it's, this is definitely like, I feel like the, um, uh, who, who wrote that uh, Annihilation? Jeff Vandermeer. Vandermeer, right? Um, I feel like that 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 is much more artificially constructed, uh, whereas this is more arg- organically constructed. I think that that one makes more sense, <laughs> which I mean, yeah, which is funny, yeah, right? Aliens did it. Yeah, aliens did it. Are mutating, and there's at least a hand wavy sort of explanation by the time you get through the entire trilogy of what happened and why. Yeah, I, I'm just, just giving up after happen. the first one. But I just uh, want to say I've yeah. never heard. Paul spoil a book and not scream out spoiler before. That's amazing. <laughs> well, good. We're because having a positive effect. Jesse already spoils <laughs> stuff. I, I, I am learning that on this podcast, at least I can spoil things. Yeah. Well, make them more exciting like, and well, attractive. Yeah. Oh. It's a surprise. Well, I want to, I, I want mutating, mutating. to think about in the, in the film adaptation of Annihilation, one of the things I really noted, I, I, I'm, I'm not obsessed with guns, guys. I don't even own one. I've never owned a gun, but I, 
I think about them a lot because of their, they're kind of symbolic for any particular period, whatever, whatever. It's, it's a piece of technology that has power, right? And each and, and, and not even power, myth, mythic power in, I mean, the gun has been a mythic thing, at least here in North America. Mostly the states. <laughs> most, most, mostly the states for, I mean, 150 years. Yeah. It's, mm. it's built into the constitution, right? So w- one of the things that you noted in the film that you can't note in the book because the book's not obsessed with it. But the film has to make revealed, and I think we talked about this, or I'm probably sure I mentioned it when we did the show on Annihilation, is that they had to show the actual weapons that the ladies are carrying into this weird southern zone, right? And instead of giving them some futuristic weapon that, you know, some designer designed, or instead of giving them modern weapons that the American military would carry... They gave them Vietnam-era M16s. And that choice is a message, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing people wandering through swamps carrying M16s is, uh, if it's an American film, it's about Vietnam, right? Um, yes. And that is not necessarily something Vandermeer is pushing, but the narrator, or not the narrator, the, the visionaries who made the the movie I'm calling visionaries like I think they're wonderful. Yeah, the, 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 I just mean the people who made the movie visualized yeah. it, made a deliberate I mean, yeah. choice to give them fatigues that look like um, they could be Vietnam era fatigues, and to give them weapons that were Vietnam era weapons, and then that gives a a cast to all of this. Um, this is something that I'm pointing out that Ballard is doing uh, when he he mentions the Thompsons. And he mentions the name of the pistol, which uh, I'm pretty sure is like a 1911 uh, Colt, you know, American uh, World War II hardware, personal defense weapons, right? And the reason he's doing that is because they're obsessive visions for him, I think. And that that um, is, I think, the difference between those two the two books. This book is very dreamlike and impressionistic, but it gets very specific, right? Where it wants to, whereas Annihilation is, I feel like it's much more deliberately constructed to to be um, obscure, but when you make a film of it, you have to make it more more specific because you can't. Yeah, you can't just have a um, sort of a blocky shape that looks like some sort of weapon ish, right? It has yeah, to you, have you, a specific. You can't make it like Minecraft and have like this. Y- yes, it ha- it has to have a specific design, and um, I think that that's what's so interesting is Vandermeer. I don't think ha- has trauma that he's trying to process. <laughs> Not in that book. I haven't read a lot of his other stuff, but he doesn't seem to me to be somebody who's traumatized and trying to work through it. Whereas I think that this is trauma that is being worked through or worked at, and with the other books. The, the drowned world, the crystal world, the burning world, um, it's all uh, him working through the same images, I think, the same hauntings. That's really interesting. You know, from, from what I said earlier, it, it, he does seem to dislike the world as it is mm-hmm. and, and is happy to see it just 
be destroyed, <laughs> you know, I mean, and they're happy to open the possibility of new. You totally. Know? He starts off yeah. in the Ritz, like, mm. in that yeah, the opening line. fancy, like, air-conditioned department. Yeah. And then ends up just, like, wading off into the swamps. <laughs> like, yeah, the yeah, Ritz on the beach. Leaving a message that he doesn't think anyone's ever gonna, even going to read, but he puts it up there anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which which was which is an interesting choice. As I say, yeah, it's like it's like twenty seventh day, and you know. So and why leave well. the message if you don't think anyone's going to read it? Why leave the message? What's I didn't the point? Fully understand that last message actually. Like I got it here. It didn't um, seem very profound. It was just like. But I, th- uh, but I think it's a key passage, and I'm not quite sure I'm unlocking yeah, I've, it. I've got it. Um, at least in the novelette I have in front of me. Yeah. Is it 14th day? Have yeah. rested 14th. and am moving south. All is well. And then he signs it. Karen. Oh, that's funny. I've got it 27th day. No, um, it may. It, I'm looking at the e text. And that, that was, I just happened to have the novelette in front of me mm-hmm. that Jesse right. sent earlier. Yeah. So that's why. It certainly could be 27th day yeah. in, in the novel. He's fiddled with it a little bit. Right before that, it says, um, at last he tied the crutch to his leg again, and with the butt of the empty forty five scratched on the wall below the window, almost sure that no one would ever read the message. So he says, all is well. Mm-hmm. And so he left the lagoon and entered the jungle again. Within a few days, was completely lost, following the lagoon southward through the increasing heat, attacked by alligators and giant bats, a second Adam searching for the forgotten paradises of the reborn son. That's in the novelette novel. That's not in the actual, that's not in the final book. There's something like that though. Very close. So I have the book in front of me that Mm -hmm. the last paragraph says, so he left the lagoon and entered the jungle again within a few days was completely lost following the lagoon southward through an increasing rain and heat. Attacked by alligators and giant bats, a second Adam, searching for the forgotten paradises of the reborn sun. The only thing that's different is the word rain is missing from Yeah, the, that's it. Okay. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. It, it, it seems to be have had something added in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can kind of feel it. Um, it was it was extended. Um, I also want to point out the opening uh, of that. If you got that, Scott? Um, the opening of which? Of uh, the science fiction adventures. Um, yeah. I call them the editorial introduction. Um, so on the cover, uh, it makes it look much more, I don't know. Yeah, it looks like a, somebody's on vacation. It looks cover. great. It looks yeah. like a hotel, <laughs> right? Like, oh, this is pretty sweet. They've got a really nice Helicopters and nice yeah. boats. And everything in the actual book, is everything's falling apart, right? Right. Um. And it would be, I think it smells too. And then on the uh, title page or the t- table of contents, um, there's the editorial description or editorial introduction. Only the tops of the world's great cities remained above sea level and the remnants of civilization fought an unusual battle against strange dreams. That is actually pretty accurate. Um, but then on the next page, um, it, has another editorial intro- introduction. Civilization ended when the Earth's atmosphere changed slightly, <laughs> which is not exactly right. In a drowned world, Kieran's sole idea was to return to the ocean depths from which man had once emerged. And that is technically true as well, right? 
the Pelosaur shows up, the Pennsylvania reptile, right? Um, we're we're there, definitely. There, there's a dim- it's not named, but there's a Dimetrodon who shows up, right? And it starts off very like this is a military operation, and ends up being I'm deserting. I'm 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 abandoning the salvage operation to return return uh the with the, the equipment and like everybody is forced to abandon this stuff and then we, we come back and we capture it all back and bring it back we're going to rebuild civilization and I'm like no civilization's done <laughs> yeah he even calls like the stuff that they're collecting from the buildings like bones he's mm. like done with it mhm yeah yeah i i i highlighted a a quote uh, mm-hmm. that i thought was interesting um, so it just says this growing isolation and self-containment exhibited by other members of the unit and from which only the buoyant rigs seemed immune <laughs> reminded Karens of the slackening metabolism and biological withdrawal of all animal life forms or all animal forms about to undergo a major metamorphosis. Sometimes he wondered what zone of transit he himself was entering sure that his own withdrawal was symptomatic, not of a dormant schizophrenia but of a careful preparation for a radically new environment with its own internal landscape and logic where old categories of thought would merely be an encumbrance. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. so he is like, let's get rid of all this stuff. A lot of the name, the character names are really, uh, I don't know, meaningful as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Karen's I think is interesting, Karen's- right? Yeah, because Karen's is like like a rock memorial on a grave. Uh, right? With a C-A-I-R-N, yes. You're right. right instead of and that fits with the it. ending, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I they didn't think that of that. right off like, uh-huh. Oh, no, you're good, because I did not get that. Colonel Riggs. <laughs> mm-hmm. Dr. Mm-hmm. Bodkin. Yeah. Right? There is all sorts of stuff going on in there. Um, I also, I, I, I was going to... Forget, and I'm, I'm mad at you guys for not reminding me. Um, Beatrice? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, Beatrice. Yeah, there's a great it's one. What's Beatrice's yeah. last name? Doll. Right? Beatrice Doll. Beatrice right. is... And it always makes me think of Dante. Of course. Of course, a doll isn't is, is a doll isn't like in a prize because she's right. getting... And she is a doll, get, right? Everybody's after yeah. her. Yeah, that's all she does. She just lies around painting her face and mm. being very, very still and expressionless. Mm. Languid. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I'm mad at you guys because you didn't remind me. And if this didn't get in the podcast, oh, I'd be upset. Jesse, I need to remind you. Oh, what? <laughs> world. The sublimated world, right? Yeah, the sublimated world. All right. So, in my... Uh, my unrelated researches, which are always related, I found this uh, new scan of a book called um, uh, Light Years and Dark. It's um, science fiction and fantasy of and for our time, edited by Nebula Award winner Michael Bishop. Uh, that's what it says on the cover. And the cover's pretty boring. It's It's just got, like, some black space <laughs> and... Uh, some light space, but it's, you know, it's just space. Um, but the contents are amazing. And, um, on, uh, it's, uh, uh, first thing that got me excited was, uh, it's dedicated to Philip K. Dick. It says from 1928 to 1982. And it's got authors J.G. Ballard, 
Ajin Wolf, Roger Zelazny, Gregory Benford, Kate Wilhelm, Terry Carr, Ian Watson, Jack Dan, Edward Bryant, Michael Swanwick, Al Keffinger, goes on and on and on, you know, like just famous authors who are famous for being really good at writing. <laughs> um, and they go right up to. I thought you were going to go somewhere else there. Oh, uh, you know, James Tripchy Jr., Larry Niven, Michael Moorcock. It's, it's got everybody, right? Um, yeah. Pat Cadigan, Chelsea Quinn Yarborough. It's, it's just endless, endless. But the thing that got me excited was, um, this guy I'd never really read before. Um, but I'd heard about him, uh, cause Philip K. Dick thought he was hilarious. Um, his name is John Sladek. You guys know anything about John Sladek? I've heard of him and I think I've read no. some short fiction. Yeah. He doesn't really write long stuff, right? So right. on page 298 of this book, that it's, it says there are three parodies. Um, and, uh, that's what he's known for. Um, and one of them is of somebody named, oh, oh, there's also another parody in here called the nine billion names of God by Carter Scholes, which is a very good story. Um, I'm just going to find it in here. Uh, this is a big book. Okay. I'm having trouble finding it. There's a little Gwyn 194. Yeah, this is a huge book. All short stories, a very thick volume of a paperback. But I'm, they're all, every page looks the same, so just give me a second. <laughs> uh, Cabinet of Edgar Allan Poe by Angela Carter. Doesn't that sound good? The mm. Death of Socrates by Thomas M. Dish. Dude. Thomas M. Dish, yeah. Rock On by Pat Cadigan. Eichmann Variations by uh, George Zabrowski. Okay, I'm going to find this. This is page 407. Okay, i got to go back like 100 pages. Sorry. <laughs> it's it, it, This is not... This is um, a rough... Um, I, I just got this scan, so I, I nothing's organized yet. Four poems. The Tale of Man. Terrific Park. Music's over. Dancing Chickens. Where is it? It should be somewhere near the end, but... Ah, got it. John Sladek. Okay, this is the editorial introduction. Born in the United States, but long a resident of England, John Sladek is an unclassifiable talent. By turns satirically grave and downright deadly hilarious, his SF novels, Mechasm, uh, UK title, The Reproductive System, and The Muller-Fokker <laughs> Effect, Roderick and Roderick at Random, uh, demonstrate the full Swiftian extent of his range and also the topsy-turvy acuteness of his social criticism. Sladek also excels at the shorter forms and the stream-driven boy, uh, the steam-driven boy and other strangers keep the giraffe burning <laughs> and the best of John Sladek are all excellent samplers. The critic John Clute has called Sladek's parodies of SF luminaries, quote, probably the finest ever done in the field. For just that reason, I have selected the following three. Ralph 4F, which is hilarious. Ralph 124C1+. plus. You guys know this story? Ralph 4... Yeah, yeah. Ralph 124C1+. Plus. It's, an old, it's an old, old... Uh, Hugo uh, Gernsback. Robot story, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's about a kid who builds this TV that is basically the internet. Um, yeah, he's a future kid, right? Okay. And it's uh, it was published in Hugo Gernsback's... Uh, I want to say Electrical Experimenter magazine. It's before Amazing. 
but it's one of the first SF as SF uh, stories. Yeah. Um, very cool. And then, so he makes fun of that. The next one, I think you will tell, be able to tell who he's making fun of. Uh, solar shoe salesman. <laughs> the next story. Who do you think that's by? Solar shoe salesman. Salesman. Uh, it's by an author named Chip Dip K Kill. <laughs> chip 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 Dip K Kill. Um, now Chip Dip K Kill is Philip K Dick. <laughs> it's making fun of Philip K Dick. Um, Ralph Four F Four F is from World War Two. It means you're not suitable for for going to war, right? Right. Um, right. Well, because we see that in Captain America, and that's by. Um, Hugo, Hugo Gore, Hugo Ogre, and, and Bax. So he's making fun of Hugo Gernsback. 1911 winner of the Hugo Ogre Award. Okay. And so that's a, a little story making fun of, of Hugo Gernsback's writing. Um, Ralph 4F. Um, I'm going to save this one for another day. Solar Shoe Salesman by Chip Dip K Kill. But I'm going to read you the opening just because I'm a tease and it's so awesome. Uh, so this is for Marissa and uh, Paul especially, and Evan if he was here. Stan Houseman, shoe salesman, punched a cuppy of calf from the kitchen and scanned the footlines of his morning newspaper. Olympic finals at Carmody Stadium. Police break up Hattonite riot. The stock market reported listing only two corporations, the two which had been... had. The two which had between them had divided the world. North American boot and shoe, NABS, and Eurasian footwear. NABS was up two points. Eurofoot, down the same, inevitably. In this two-person zero-sum game, one could only profit at the expense of the other. Like Karen and me, he thought grimly. (laughs) (laughs) The corner of his eye caught movement. The racing figure of an autistic child... (laughs) <laughs> when he wow. looked right at it, it was gone. Karen came into the kitchen. Let's not start anything, for God's sake, he said. I'm getting a divorce, Stan. I'm seeing the lo- I'm seeing the loster this afternoon. Suddenly, the coffee, sh- coffee substitute tasted very bitter. That's chapter one of Solar Shoe Salesman. <laughs> so now I'm going to read you, in full, I hope, uh, The Sublimation World by J.G. B. And it's unfinished. <laughs> Chapter one, the eternal grocer. Price. The eternal grocer? Grocer, yes. Uh, Price looked across the lagoon, a dry sweep of land at, at the mirage. The lagoon was sublimating, turning from liquid ice directly into crystalline air. And though it was, <laughs> and through its wavering layers, he could make out, uh, Geosometi statue that was probably of one of the king's men's grown thin. Fronds of zygote and raft the old supermarket now, smothering it in lianas and spermaceti, turning it into a, f- a fairly good Jackson Pollock painting, the one he always dreamed about. <laughs> this too had a dreamlike mist about it, as did King's Man, King's Man, turning and turning, driven by a wind of solidity, pterodactyls honked overhead. Chapter two, the Harpy's <laughs> Bazaar. It had, and it had become more than a month between Price's visit to the kayak. Mona lay back in the kayak in her yellow empire gown, trailing one lavender glove in the, in the water. Dark Dactyls watched as she combed and brushed out her hair, using it 
for a mirror a smooth slab of the atmosphere. Bryce felt suddenly very tired, but then he had always been suddenly tired. <laughs> he wanted to give it all up to sublime, <laughs> to sublimate a while with the world around him, to ride beating leathern wings into a hot purple sunset. But this could not be, not for the moment. He still felt a peculiar loyalty to the human species. There was still the scurvy to be cleared up, the report to write, the generator to be fixed. He lit his pipe and frowned through the azure smoke of at the king's elephant. It was marching about in a circle, waving a black flag. Chapter 3. The Mirror of Xanadu <laughs> he could write to the government, he thought, coming out of the dream. It was always the same. A hollow, hot, heavy jungle tree, bright green, growing right in the middle of a frozen desert. amid yellow orange flames and bearing seven blue grapes. <laughs> he picked them up one at a time and crushed them between his toes. The juice ran like blood into the parched flank of earth. But the last grape he reserved to crush against the roof of his mouth, like a spy's poison capsule, before he died. In the dream, he never died. Chapter 4. Desert of Gas Man had caused the sublimation. For years, decades, man had poured black, oily fumes into the atmosphere. Some of these fumes descended as solids to soak into the earth once more, to polarize its proteins. Other... Polarize its protein? Yep. Other matter had risen, faster during the warm days and slower at night, until it reached the sun, altering it slowly and subtly. For over a hundred years, the sun had been getting dirty. <laughs> now its purplish glow turned the sensitive proteins of Earth into iodine. Price lived in a small abandoned abbey, sleeping on the altar, <laughs> using a decaying harmonium for a cupboard. <laughs> he kept... He kept in the in the cupboard a few time fragments, relics of his own past, a, a bead belt he'd made in scouts, a rusted mouse, a stamped self-addressed envelope, a bottle of hair oil <laughs> that he kept despite his baldness. It was oil, after all, sacred, chrism, and things in the Jurassic past had died to create it. Um... <laughs> uh, a shot echoed across the iodine flats. One of Mona's kites fluttered like an angry angel's wing. <laughs> it flickered across his vision and fell. In the distance, Joe Oliphant had wrapped himself in a black mantle. He drove madly about in his chariot, his whip flickering out like a tongue of a lizard. Price could hear the frightening screams of horses and Joe's dark Rasputin laugh. Chapter 5. The Parsi of the Cobra Casino King had in his great circus train more food and water and treasure than he and his assassins could hope to use up. It was foolish of Price to try holding out against them. They were the last cruel life force itself. Why should he drink dew? <laughs> D-E-W. Why cook his food... Why, why cook his last tins of food over a fire of pterodactyl guana? <laughs> pterodactyl guana. There was nothing... There... There was finally nothing left to eat but his beaded belt and a few peanuts the king's sharp-eyed elephant might overlook. King had parked the train in a circle, broken only where the chip of the blue lake lay soundless, mirroring nightly strange rites. But the light of the gas torches... Uh, by the light of the glass... Tor oh my god. By the light of gas torches, the tattooed woman was charming a cobra. King lay in his red silk mandarin pajamas on an enameled couch, fanning himself with one of Mona's kites. 
He was barely visible, a sash of red among the yellow balloons, like a wound. <laughs> At his feet, the pet pterodactyl was busy, methodically ripping apart a peacock. Chapter 6, An Ozymandian Tangram uh, There was no water anywhere. All the water had grown heavy and sunk out of sight beneath the earth, which was slowly turning to dry ice. At last, Pitch Price hitched up the remains of his belt, so emaciated was he, had he become, though he had eaten half of it. The belt still fit him, and struck out for the purple flats. I must look like a geo geocometi, he thought. The silver flats turned azure gray at noon, while the heated air became dank and brown. He looked back and saw the galloping skeleton of the elephant, the howdah swaying. King, or the ghost of King, was pursuing him. A ghost. They couldn't let him go off and die alone. They wanted to punish him for turning his back on them, for refusing, like some inverse Toby Tyler, to, the jo to join the circus. The elephant was dissolving, and King, sinking slowly to the ground, was falling behind. He took up the electric megaphone and shouted, Come back, Price! We need you at camp! Don't be a bloody fool, man! Chapter 7, The Bloody Fool he came upon the dead... chapters are in this thing? <laughs> yep. A uh, uh, couple more, I think. He came, he came upon the dead city at dusk. For a while, he was apprehensive that King might pursue him there, too, using the circus train. Then he saw that the rail railroad had long since vaporized, leaving only ash of tracks. The station, too, was a ghost. He had reached the end of the line, the terminal, terminal. The whole city was a gibbous dune, once a mercury refinery, now frozen into a single gaseous crystalline chrysalid, depended from which, uh, de depended from what was once a flaming blood, blood fruit tree, now gone to iron, ironically. <laughs> the tree reminded him of something. He took out the blue grape to eat and found that it too was diminished, worn away by the invisible, though solid, wind that moved from past to future. The end. Very nice. See, he, he captured... That's what's so funny, is he captured what's going on. <laughs> like, the writing style and the psychology. He really got him. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> this is that story, right? This is the... All of the burning worlds and the the uh, crystal worlds crystal world and, and the drowned world, world right? It, but he captured it in like three pages. But it's obvious, you know, it's making fun of it. It's a parody, but it's also what it is. Right? <laughs> it's mm -hmm. comedic, but uh, exactly, but, but, he but, captured him. But you don't. You don't fully appreciate that unless you've actually read Ballard. I mean, yes. Someone who's never read Ballard that's given that's not going to get it. Right. And that's why when reading the Philip K. Dick, you know, you're laughing because it's it, it, those are the things he is obsessed with. Right? <laughs> like, why is the why are two shoe companies the only thing left on Earth? Because so, so, Philip so K. Dick parody, writes about shoes. Parody, uh, I mean, parody presupposes a familiarity with what is being parodied in order to be effective. Like, like Board of the Rings, for example. Does not work unless you've read Board of the Rings. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So you're doing a recapitulation theory on <laughs> on parody. Uh, uh, yes, I am. Actually. Yes, I am. 
parody recapitulates phylogeny. <laughs> kind of. I yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I need to read uh, a lot of more Ballard novels because I feel like this is I I would probably have benefited just by reading the shorter version. Yeah, yeah. I I think you'd like some of his shorter works because they're much more concentrated and they get to it much faster, like Bolinium or Concentration City or. Mm. A couple of his other ones. Concentration City is concentrated. Republican. What's that? Concentrated the City con- is concentrated. The concentrated City. Yeah. Like, yeah, but... I yeah, mean, I'm definitely going like- to read that. I, I, uh, I've I, got a copy of uh, The Best of J.G. Ballard coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it better be in that. If it's not in that collection, it is in there. I, 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 yeah, yeah. I would have I more <laughs> with, the, with yeah. come up in that collection. Yeah. 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 It's from 1978. Okay, yeah, so it should have, yeah, good, good, good. Did you find this um, too long, Jason? Is that what you think? No, I, I, the thing is, is um, it's six hours, um, but I, fe- I felt it was so dreamlike. I like, I, I either needed to spend a lot more time taking notes, which I don't normally do, or... Yeah, the new wave, I'm not sure the exact... Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, and... And yet, that's this other one is basically an hour and fifteen minutes to read, um, yeah. and it's the same story. So I, I feel like that would probably give it give me what I need that he's trying to I say. Love it. I it, like the longer version. I love that whole like dream like immersive quality of it. Like um, mm. I feel like that would be missing in a condensed. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the condensed version gets to the gets the points but this is much more a novel about the experience yeah and i think and, that's what i like to read like that's why i like vandermeer and stuff mm-hmm. or that's what yeah, i enjoyed that, about like that lost tv show like i don't i don't even watch the end of it i don't care i just mm. liked the like the experience of like the mission yeah i didn't think about lost as being sort of a ripoff of this but it is isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah that that meant that, 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 that. I mean, it's, it wouldn't surprise me if they read Ballard and were influenced by it. I mean, Ballard's, I mean, Ballard as one of the major figures in the new wave has influenced a lot of writers since subconsciously or consciously, and Bandemir is just one of them. Mm-hmm. So I read this years ago um, and could vaguely remember parts of it, but mm-hmm. it was cool reading it again because it totally did feel like remembering a dream. Like I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that wasn't a book that I read. That wasn't mm-hmm. like some weird dream that I had. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it yeah. does feel like a dream. Um, yeah, I'm. I just I typed in the wrong thing to Google. I was trying to see how long Annihilation was. I don't remember. I, I remember it being longer than this, probably double. That's pretty short. Is it okay? That's surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, for a modern book, I'm surprised if anything's, you know, under ten hours. Um, well, he, they're like it's like three. It's three parts, but it doesn't really feel like three novels. It feels like it was almost meant to be one book that he that came out like a few months apart mm. each section. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three, and he and he subsequently publishes one big book afterwards. Yeah, so mm. it's almost like a third of a book, really. It's interesting to if if um, I don't know much about how Vandermeer. Oh well, there's I, I t- actually typed in Annihilation J.G. Ballard um, instead of. Annihilation, um, <laughs> Vandermeer, um, <laughs> and uh, the first result is a tour 
piece from 2016. And the line is, Annihilation is defi- definitely is derivative of Ballard's The Crystal World. Um, this is Alex Garland being interviewed. And so this is the ending of the movie, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Which is different from the book, end of the book. Yeah. But thinking about um, the next one, next result down is, what role did J.G. Ballard's work play? And this is Jeff Vandermeer answering. Um, and I was just thinking, well, now that I think about it, the drowned world is annihilation in a certain sense, right? The swamps are taking over. Um, and then at the end of Annihilation, the, the film, it turns into the crystal world. Is the second book in the Annihilation series a burning world? No. No? It's an office bureaucracy right. story. Right, right. Um, that, the effect, uh, I, I wonder, like, is JB, JG uh, Ballard cultivating the effect, uh, that he's going for, or is the effect that he's going for just a result of the way he writes, or some combination of both? But I feel like, uh, the way Vandermeer wrote Annihilation, it's like a, um, by deliberately not naming people, he's actually like trying to cause the, he's more deliberate about the effect. You see what I mean? Yeah. And I can more sort of stylized mannered approach to it rather than ballads, more easygoing. It's like it comes out of it. Whereas Vandermeer's working at it. Yeah. But I don't feel like Vandermeer's work suffers because he, he plotted it. No, no, normally I would think that, but I, because I'm, I think people plot too much. Like they get out the whiteboards and (laughs) little sticky notes and move things around. He's he's on a plot. Yeah, Yeah. And that, the thing is, is that book doesn't feel that way. On the other hand, you can see that the guy is not, Vandermeer is interested in this stuff, but he's not, he's not like, he's not like Philip K. Dick or Ballard, like traumatized in some way and, or like a, uh, would be a crazy preacher in, in, you know, uh, just another era, right? Vandermeer to me is someone who's like passionately in love with, nature and the environment and mm. his stories are based on a fear of what's going to happen to it mm-hmm. or what is yeah. happening to it yeah, yeah he, not he like personal has, trauma he definitely mm-hmm. has a very big love of nature i mean he's i mean he's been donating stuff to uh for florida parks and stuff and he's got a t he's got a couple t-shirts for area x and the proceeds get donated to uh wildlife yeah. conservation and stuff so, so yeah he's big into that yeah so under the fear of like what's happening to it is this like like love for it and talking about nature mm-hmm. whereas ballad feels more like um i don't know it's more like an atmospheric effect from nature not like i love nature so much here is mm. we're going to learn all about it and appreciate it they're they're about the same length uh both of them are six hours i thought that would be about right yeah that's interesting it didn't feel long um when i read it but uh, I'm surprised it was so short. I guess if you add them up into one big book, then it's regular long. <laughs> People who bought this yeah. book also bought Galapagos. Oh, and uh, Frame Shift by Robert J. Sawyer. Oh, God. It's not a bad so book. I was going to say, I was Googling The Drowned World at some point, and I totally forgot to like follow this thread. But I saw somewhere that Ballard has also written a book 
where only one character is named and the rest are like the lawyer hmm. and the whatever. Wow. But I'm not hmm. sure which, I can't remember which story it was now. But I wondered if Jeff Vandermeer had read that and mm. was inspired well, by that too. Yeah. I, I didn't normally think of um, Ballard as the weird, you know, but I see that now clearly, part, especially part the dream part stuff. Of, yeah, prototype of the new, of, of what eventually becomes the new weird that Vandermeer is the, mm-hmm. the center of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I guess it's like what we were saying. It's like it's got all the nature in it, but it's more about the psychology of. Mm-hmm. I guess the weird is as well, though. The weird is very much about mm. the same person. Well, yeah. yeah, it can be. Yeah, mm. I mean, it, the, it's it's funny. They're more the whole they're, dive into the whole dive into the into the building that uh, Cairns does is very very dreamlike and weird and going that deep was into so the past. cool. Yes. I don't know, while I was reading that, all I was like, I want to play this video game. Can someone please make this into a video game? <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be my favorite part of the entire book. Mm. Yeah. I, I, could, I could feel myself down in there trying to, like, unearth, unearth, unearth the world. And, and then and then the tension, like, is he going to try to kill me while I'm down here? Or Yeah, you know? that was one of the parts that I was thinking, like, oh, this wasn't a dream. Or, like, that that's the part that I kind of remembered that I wasn't sure which book it was or where it came from. and. So cool how it's described. Yeah, I kept thinking of. I don't know if he's explicitly going for. It. I kept thinking of Greenwich, the Greenwich Observatory, for that. Because mm-hmm. I'd been to Greenwich Observatory way back in 1991, and standing on the Prime Meridian and stuff, and thinking of that. But that's on a hill, so it's so, so like, well, maybe it's not because that's a high point. So maybe it's not that meant to be that observatory. But I kept thinking in my mind anyway. There's a a poem I'm trying to remember the name of the author and the poem itself, um, by an Irish author. It's about wells, um, uh, not H.G. Wells, the actual, wells? yeah, just regular wells. Um, I can probably find a way to remember it. Um, can anybody name any Irish authors? <laughs> um, 20th century Irish authors, famous Irish authors. What the heck is it? So I've been looking at some other stuff. The yep. uh, the the Concrete Island, or yep. just Concrete Island by Gigi Ballard, also has a BBC radio adaptation. Yep. I've heard it. Oh, okay. It's an hour yeah, long. Yeah, I want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's traumatizing. <laughs> <laughs> not Seamus Haney. It's not Seamus Haney. Okay, I can find this. It's on one of the um, provincial exams. English. 12, provincial. This is what they do to kids. They make them uh, uh, get tortured with poems. Mm-hmm. Said, We're going to be tested. You better know the answers to these things. Grade 12. I want to read it for you. That's why I'm thinking about provincial exam, English, British Columbia. If I could just remember the title of it. Did you know that there was a province called Avalon? Long time ago. Yeah, it's a, it eventually got merged into the, pro, uh, the province of Newfoundland. Province basically comes from the Roman word for um, uh, conquered territory, basically. Uh, so that's why Provence in France, the southern province of France, is it's called is Provence. Not, it's a, it's the, basically the, the province. Of 
Yeah. The, the area around the settlement of Fairyland, Newfoundland, and Labrador in the 17th century, upon which the success of the colony grew to include the hand, land held by Sir William Vaughn and all the land that lay between Fairyland and Petty Harbor. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So Fairyland is spelled F-E-R-R-Y, sadly, rather than yeah, F-A-I-R-Y. Very, very not. I was just thinking about Avalon a lot this week. Anyways, um... Uh, personal Helicon. I found it. It was by Seamus Haney. I know, Scott, you know Seamus Haney, right? Yes. Yes. Know. I mean, not personally, but you, not know, personally, you read his stuff. But I do like Seamus Haney quite a bit. And this, uh, I was thinking about this poem a little bit, um, listening to this book. Um, so Marissa, uh, listen, listen close. This sounds, I think, a lot like the style of, of, uh, J.G. Ballard. It's pretty short. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. Don't worry, Paul. But I will be I will be administering the exam questions after. So <laughs> please, the, uh, I'm serious. I'm, there are seven questions. I want you to get them right. Um, <laughs> I charge forty dollars an hour for this. Okay, here we go. This is your job. <laughs> Personal Helicon by Seamus Haney. As a child, they could not keep me from the wells and old pumps with buckets and windlasses. I loved the dark drop. The trapped sky, the smells of waterweed, fungus, and dank moss. One in a brickyard was a rotted board top. Uh, with a rotted board top, I savored the rich crash when a bucket plummeted down at the end of a rope, so deep you saw no reflection of it. A shallow one under a dry stone ditch, fructified like any aquarium. When you dragged out long roots from the soft mulch, a white face hovered at the bottom. Others had echoes, gave back your own call, with a clean new music in it. And one was scarcome, for there, out of ferns and tall foxgloves, a rat slapped across my reflection. Now, to pry in roots, to finger slime, to stare big-eyed, big-eyed Narcissus into some spring, is beneath all adult dignity. I rhyme to see myself to set the darkness echoing. It's nice, right? Mm. I like poems. What's that called? It's called Personal Helicon. And uh, at the bottom for the children, there are notes uh, on the vocab words. Helicon, Mount Helicon, was the site of an ancient Gre- uh, in ancient, ancient Greece where the muses were worshipped. The muses were believed to inspire all artists, per- especially poets. So that sort of made me, uh, that's probably one of the reasons I was thinking of this poem, even though I couldn't remember the name of it, is Ballard's personal helicon is not London. It's what London looks like when viewed through his own childhood, I think. Mm. Uh, windlass is the handle used to raise a bucket from the bottom of a well. Fructified, what a great vocab word. Uh, productive, yeah. full of life, which this book is. Uh, Narcissus, a young man in Greek mythology so enchanted by his own image reflected in the pool of water that he was unable to remove himself and gradually wasted away. Question number one. <laughs> Which literary device is used in quote-unquote trapped sky, line three? And your choices are A, illusion, B, analogy, C, metaphor, D, foreshadowing. They're not actually asking us to answer. 
I guess not. I can, I can come on this podcast. <laughs> I know. It feels guy. mean, right? Okay, number two. Which, what is the predominant form of imagery? In quote, I savored the rich crash when a bucket plummeted down at the end of a rope. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How's the air quality? Terrible. I can taste it. Oh, yeah. It's real bad. Yeah. I've got no um, air con either, so. Oh, God. I've put like sheets and towels up against all the cracks in the windows and just trying to like. That's really, really terrible. Uh, I saw somebody I follow who's local to you. Well, Pasadena, I guess that's not exactly the same place. Um, Pretty local. 400 was the air quality. Oh, God, yeah. That is. Pasadena is really close to. 434, hazardous. That's like gas mask. It is like, gas mask. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it like uh, where we are, it's 150, and that's unhealthy, right? Yeah. But 434, that's like you will die. <laughs> it will kill you. Yeah, I'm pretty worried about it. I've had like headaches and stuff. Oh yeah. I just feel like shit, and it's like. Ugh. I um I you know blow my nose, and I can. I smell it like ashes. It's like, yeah. oh my god, that's really bad. <laughs> and uh, we're not getting anything close to the level you've got. Yeah. It's pretty sad. So we're, it looks like tomorrow here it's meant to be 2.30. Well, that's better than 400, but oh, yeah. not really livable. Is Paul in? I heard one thing, then it stopped, but then I saw a joint call. That was very weird. Uh, well, it said you were not available, so. Not available? That's what, what it said. Paul is not available. I don't available. even know how to make myself unavailable on Skype. That <laughs> That's what I was saying. <laughs> that seems really weird. All right. I'm going to check and make sure nobody else is supposed to be on this schedule. Um, I know Connor is probably not so joining the, us. The airflow patterns have uh, given us a lot of smoke, too. Yeah. From, yeah. from California. Oh, yeah. But. Right now, we're I'm in northern Utah. Oh yeah. And uh, it was it was awful thick uh, for a few days, maybe about two weeks ago. You couldn't even. I mean, I have mountains really close to us, and we couldn't even see them. Mm. Wow. Uh, That's yeah. But right now, right now we're looking good. It's got to be. In fact, I'm looking at the air quality. It says it's about twenty. That's uh, yeah. that is good. That's really <laughs> yeah. good. So, but we're we lucky had, we get down know, to seventeen. I don't know if you guys saw on the news, you know, uh, um, semi-trucks being blown over on I-15. No. Um, we, we had we had 80-mile-an-hour winds. Um, it was like yeah. a hurricane, like a, a Category 3 hurricane wow. that came through here, and it was a disaster. I mean, we got up in the morning, and, uh, I mean, it was so loud, I had to come downstairs. I was like, well, I hope nothing's 
you know, breaking. And we did have warning. They told us it would be windy. But yeah, it was there was some sustained winds of eighty miles an hour and there there were semi trucks driving down I fifteen were just blown over. My um, friend's fence in Utah got wrecked by those winds. Oh my gosh, yeah. There, there I just trees said damage uprooted like, oh all over the place. Like yeah, hurricane. it was like a, a hurricane in Utah. There's a word for those, like a derecho or something. Derecho, uh, yeah, because yeah. there was one in Iowa a few week, couple weeks ago, just right. south of me. That so that, that knocks Cedar Rapids for a loop. Same thing. Yeah, the explanation of how it happened is we were pretty warm, like we were getting up to about ninety every day, and then this was an Arctic airflow, and when it collides with the mountains, then there. I mean, the 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 the, the explanation was that on the on the side of the mountains on the other side. So the, the air hits one side, but on the other side of the mountain, you get extreme wind. And, uh, but yeah, that was crazy. Looking so, at this map. Um, uh, well, apparently we're number one in the world for ba- uh, major cities with bad air right now. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. It says, uh, what? Los Angeles is 152 or 190. Wow, that's wild. You're 190 and... Uh, yeah, um, I just sent it into the, the um, what do you call that map? I yeah. don't know, chat, okay. yeah. Like, but do you guys have, you can <clears throat> see the sunlight and stuff still? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a building. I can't see through the building. Uh, okay. But that is there. But um, it's, uh, it's also oh. like, there's different stuff that can make it bad. So I'm not sure right. what... what like it's is it nitrous oxide probably not i think it's probably um particulate yeah wait but, i'm just gonna put i'm just gonna be one second my coffee oh well see there's mm-hmm. other ones here that are like eureka is 215 but that's a small town right it it is night i mean it's it's overcast and drizzly here but our air quality quinterial thing here is nine yeah, this, so. see, that's wonderful. You can read that all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's drippy and almost chilly out there, but yeah, it's, just, it's not fire. It's not fire smoke death. I'll take I'll take this over that. That's, yeah. Here's a here's a photo I took on. Um, this was not the worst day. On the worst day, right. we would not be able to see those mountains. On uh, just the airflow, and that was all from California. Yeah, that 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 looks haunting and weird and strange yeah. and i hope i hope in five weeks that this all tamps down in yeah. utah and elsewhere and right now in utah our air quality is good because that the reason i brought up the wind is because that blew out all the smoke <laughs> and whatever pattern we've got right now it's not filling up with smoke at the moment so where precisely in utah do you live Scott? i live in logan utah so it's logan yeah okay. so i'm in uh about and- 20 Miles south of the north border of Utah. Oh, way up there. Way, way up. Yeah. Okay. Because, because, I mean, I'm still plotting and thinking that mm, five good. weeks. Nice. If all goes well, I will be making my giant trip over. That's great. Wonderful. To Utah. I was just figuring out. Whoa, COVID, COVID's around here are excellent at the moment, which is <laughs> surprising because we we started high school and stuff. Yeah. But I was at the. I mean, w- we had like nine one day and eleven the other day. Uh, uh, new cases in northern Utah. That's like a three county area. 
So it's looking really good for us, but we're, we're as close to normal as you can be. You know, there's a lot of mask wearing. I was at the store this morning and unfortunately there was a case lot sale that started today and there were people everywhere. Um, and we have high school football going on, um, people in the stands and everything. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. But right now, yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. What will happen? <laughs> Right. What's next? I mean, so I haven't, I haven't made any reservations or anything because I'm watching and planning and fretting. But as far as I would, I would like this trip. Yeah, I would like to make this trip, but you know, I can't promise anything yet to myself. Mm -hmm. But I've been plotting Uh, up possible routes and things, but. So I didn't know where Logan was because yeah. I'm thinking coming in north and come and going out south. So if we were to potentially meet even socially distance, it would have to be on the inward, on my inward perambulation. Okay. <laughs> Unless I change my plans entirely, because well, my current thought is I drive into Utah around the Salt Lake City area, take there a couple days, and then basically clockwise go around Utah to hit all five, and then shoot out via Colorado and back. Oh, very nice. That's at least what I'm currently thinking. So Logan is about an hour and a half north of Solik. Correct. Yep. Takes me an hour and a half to get to the airport. Oh, so you? Oh, so. Yeah, when I fly out, that's exactly. It's almost exactly ninety minutes <laughs> to get to the airport. Now, here's a thought. I, I should be planning my vacations with Je- on Jesse's channel, but we haven't even started what? the podcast yet. <laughs> I mean, we could theoretically meet at a third-party location. Absolutely, we could. Absolutely. Like, like say, I don't know, Golden State National, Golden yeah. Spike National Historical Park, for example. <laughs> for example, just, right. Yeah, just as absolutely. an example, as, as something I was thinking of seeing, mm-hmm. I mean, we could meet yeah, there. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. That'd be great. I mean, yep. Antelope Island's a little too close to Salt Lake City. I want to see that, too, because I want to see the Great Salt Lake and maybe get a sunset shot. Yeah. You've been to the Tetons, right? I think I've seen you take pictures of yep. them. I've only been to the Tetons twice. Because so. <laughs> that is a... I, I know. I know I, you haven't you been there. That's a magnificent I, area to go to. I've only been to the Tetons twice. you got to get to Yellowstone before the That's a very tall sentence. Up. Because yeah, that's I, next. There's nothing left but the volcano. I, I know the super the super, the super, vol- the super you, volcano. You want to get there before that goes off. But the problem is what I learned on my oh my god I feel like something like dropping my adventure on my 2017 New Zealand trip. Mm-hmm. What I found out what I, what I confirmed I mean I suspected for years. What I confirmed is I have a sulfur allergy. So a sulfur? interesting. That's because interesting because uh, it's some some component of your body as well, right? Uh, yeah. Not a but, big per- yeah, component. Yeah, it's a hydrogen yeah. Yellowstone, sulfide. Yellowstone definitely smells like oh sulfide. hydrogen sulfide. Okay, that's different. hydrogen sulfide. Hold yeah. your because when I went to there's a there's a part of New Zealand that's particularly volcanically active called Rotorua. It's got all the hot pools and the guys and the geysers and stuff. And I was sick as a dog. Oh, yeah. You know Rotorua. Yeah. Is that where you were? Yeah. Oh, well, I, I, I hit Rotorua on my way down to Topo. Oh, on yeah, my yeah. 2017 trip. And 
Because, you know, like, I was like, oh, geysers and hot springs. This will be perfect to photograph. Cue Paul, cue Paul sitting in his hotel room thinking, oh, God, I can't wait to drive out of here and to clear the sky, clear air. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a beautiful country. And Lake Roto, um, Mama, I cannot pronounce the name. I think it was a beautiful park, but the sulfur just knocked me on my arse. Uh-huh. So, it, it, you laugh. I'm laughing because it's Paulisms. It, it, I laugh it, at almost it, everything, Paul. It's either that it, or cry. I've chosen to laugh. So, so, as far as Yellowstone, there are things I'd like to see in Yellowstone again. Um, the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone again. Mm. I mean, I mean, the geysers are fine. Geysers aren't that <coughs> sulfurous, but like, because they're like, real fine geysers. The first time I went to Yellowstone, the mud volcano wasn't great. And I thought, oh, maybe it was just car sickness because we had driven across the country. But no, it's sulfur. It's hydrogen mm. sulfide. That hydrogen sulfide does not make me happy. But you have no problem with eggs, right? I have no problem eating eggs. No. Yeah. But it's apparently the, the gas. Yeah, the gas is not good for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Marissa, I don't think your um, your mic is either close enough to your face or maybe it's not the right mic coming through because um, your quality is not high enough for my standard ears. How is it now? Still the same? Uh, slightly better. It's weird. My friend said that the other day. Uh, get into your Skype uh, settings. Um, there's a, like a little, they call it the hamburger. It's like three dots or three bars or something. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know where it is exactly, but it's on mine. It's sort of near my name. Um, oh, and when you run your mouse over, it says more and then settings and then audio video. And then it'll show you cameras, choose backgrounds and also microphone and speakers. Yeah, I can't hear you. <laughs> no, just barely. I mean, I can hear you saying it, but it's so far away. Yeah, you suddenly sound, sound like you're in New Zealand. <laughs> okay. Mm, nope. I don't think it's. I, I. I think it's a settings problem, not a uh, microphone. I don't think it's your microphone. I have the same problem on Discord. Yeah, I think it's uh well. Um t- tap on your Yeti. You got a Yeti, right? Or is it a snowball? Tap on it. Tap on it physically. Like that. See that? Yeah. I don't know. Doesn't seem loud enough. It's like it's the wrong yeah, the, the it's switch on the back, the the one, two, three. Try changing that. I don't know what you have. If you have a snowball, there's a switch on the back that says one, two, three. She could be talking right now. We'd never know. I see a switch. Yeah, have you got a Yeti or a snowball? A uh, snowball. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. My snowball has a switch on the back that has one, two, three. Try uh, unplugging it, plugging it back in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Try it. It's the old one. Yeah. Have you tried it? Yeah, that's the IT crowd, right? Turn it off and on again. Yeah. yeah. 
It's, Speaking of technology, my monitor is dying. Whenever I turn on my monitor for the first time, it goes through this flickering on and off cycle for about 10 to 30 seconds, and then oh, it wow. settles down. There's a solution to that. Never unplug it. <laughs> um, well, it's even, it, I mean, it, I'd have to keep it. I have to keep it term. I'd have to keep it permanently on, and that will probably kill it eventually too. <laughs> well, but yeah, but, well, I, I, I had that problem with the TV. Computer. It but, would take 40, 45 minutes to warm up, so I just yeah, left so it I on. Think maybe my thing is not warming up. It warming up anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I'm gonna. Did have you to find the hamburger, more. Marissa? Oh, well, maybe she turned the computer on and off. I'll check the uh, the chat. Um, by the way, for the people who are not uh, fiddling with the that- technology, um, in the uh, <laughs> I think that's a Scott. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the um, in the chat I sent the link to the Drowned World original. Publication. Um, I have said, oh, oh, in chat. Oh, oh, I thought I took about the thing you sent me on, uh, on Skype. On I don't type to this. It is Skype. Yeah. So, Not Skype. I mean on Twitter. Yeah, you know, and in the Twitter, I sent the audio drama. Yeah, but you, you sent it too late for us to actually listen to uh, it. Paul, I, I've been busy. <laughs> I know, but I, I, you can't expect me to have listened to. Uh, I don't long expect you that. Hour. <laughs> to have I'm just saying I sent it okay I'm not I'm just I'm, I apologize if you don't need to apologize you're not it's Canadian you don't pow- it's not officially required <laughs> you know what I've been listening to lately what's that is uh the Canadia 2056 again audio drama Scott I love that thing he's so nostalgic makes me happy yes. is it available anywhere uh I mean so, it, I'll tweet about it I doubt it um I did get a um, a, f- a favorite from uh, the guy on some joke I made. He thought of that mm-hmm. was really funny, and Matt he was Watts. like the only one in the planet who thought that whatever joke it was was funny, <laughs> which is it's cool. Yeah, um, I doubt it's available anywhere. It might be in iTunes if they still sell stuff because it was there briefly, but these things tend to disappear. That is a that is a pity. That is a shame. But yeah, going back while Marissa fiddles, so I was while while so, Rome burns. What what while so, Rome so, burns? So, so, so while Rome burns, yes. Yeah. So yeah, so I've been trying to figure out routes into what? Utah. What? What's wrong and with now your I'm mic? Low mic? Oh, that's even worse. Um, Technology is failing us. Try badly. a different. Uh, what? Uh, USB port. Oh. Oh, boy. She did. Oh, oh, no. Well. Use your phone. I suppose you'd like to use my phone. Okay, she has a spare mic. Excellent. Hanging. (laughs) 
Okay. Um, so you should take a, uh, an opportunity to uh, listen to that audio drama while we wait. <laughs> um, I don't think it's going to take an hour. All right. Um, but I've been busy, Paul. I've been nursing puppies. You got to give me a break. I, I, I heard. I heard about puppies. Yeah. Lot of nursing going on. Um, that, that that would take time in that time and spoons. It it takes a ton of time because they don't want to necessarily eat, <laughs> and you have to make them eat, or they lose weight and then they die. That makes it sound like the like Pokemon or something. Probably dramatic. Yeah, uh, Pokemon sounds like it's a lot less work. You just like click on the button. Whereas this one, you have to get them. You have to have basically three hands. I don't know how dogs do it. Um, you have to stimulate their uh, genitals so that they they pee um, because the dog licks up its own baby's pee and poop, um, <laughs> and that makes room for more food. And you also have to um, uh, you know get the nipple in their mouth. Um, and they have to be at the right angle, and you have to stimulate their mandibles, <laughs> and also like basically you need to have your tongue on them at all times. And I'm not a tongue guy, so it's tough. <laughs> oh no! There's six um, of them. I, I need to change the subject before I just laugh to death. So I found. So I fa- so I found out you didn't tell me. Scott, that there's in and out Burger in Utah. There is one. There's one. <laughs> there's one? I there's thought there was one. like three. Well, there's one the that I know of. There's Maybe there's the, some more the like in Provo or something. The, there's uh, three the, in the Salt Lake City area. Yeah, the one that I know of is on um, it's south of Layton. Um, I mean, I haven't had... Center, Centerville, maybe? I haven't had in and out Burger in... 18 years. Wow. When, when I lived in California, when I lived in California. So. Right. And that's relatively new for us too. But, um, yeah, there was only one that I had been to. That I, I mean, knew hopefully they do like drive through or whatnot. Yep, like, they do. And, I mean, you're coming I all the way that, over to Utah for in and out burger. <laughs> well, well, it would just be like, it just would like be a value add as far as, you know, in, in addition to going around Utah and seeing, Seeing stuff, I can get an in and out burger fix. I also want to try Arctic Soko because I want, because apparently they're the inventors of the fry sauce stuff. Mm-hmm. I've never even so, heard of that chain. It's 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 a it's a local it's a local chain to the Salt Lake area. Apparently, what's it called again? Arc- Arctic Circle. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I mean, Shit. there's like little chains like here in Minneapolis like that, although. Dip, dip, I mean, Culver's is a nationwide thing, but, you know, things like Dino's and whatnot are small chains around here, various foods that, yeah. you know, here outside of Minneapolis, no one, no, no one's ever heard of Dino's, which, which disappoints me because they used to have the greatest lamb and beef gyros, and then they went all to beef. Gyros. Like, why'd you take away the lamb? Why? <laughs> Why'd you just make it all beef? Why? You're making Paul Why? sad. Uh, <laughs> it, made, it made Paul sad because I <laughs> lamb. Finding lamb in a fast food chain was kind of kind oh, yeah, of rare, that is and special. It's like now, I mean, if I want a real lamb euro, I have to go to Holy Land. But Holy Land has, you know, Holy Land. The the daughter of the owner of Holy Land posted some really nasty 
things on Facebook <laughs> and cause all sorts of drama. I mean, I, I mean, that I seems mean, to be what you do if you own a, a, a I, restaurant I, chain. You have to go on TV and say nice things about Trump. I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, she was advocating genocide against you know, Jews. I mean, seriously, it's Stupid. like it was a big scandal here. Oh like, my god! The hell. So, so yeah. I mean, Holy Land used to have. Used to have a uh, nationwide uh, contract to sell its hummus in stores, like in Walmart, and they lost the contract after that. So you can't get Holy Land hummus outside of the Holy Land store anymore because of this. Hmm. And they have good hummus. Okay, okay. Tried new USB, tried new mic, tried swapping cable, still nothing. Oh, no. N- may- oh, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> Try new computer. Wow. <laughs> We're, we're moving down yeah. the chain of problems here too. So there's a there's a question on um, on BookTube. Mm-hmm. Name a book where someone wears a mask. Um, I've got uh, Steen and I bought one, mm-hmm. and he still hasn't read it. He's he was supposed to read it, but he's not reading comics. Um, it's called. Um, it's by uh, the same guy who did uh, Why the Last Man, uh, mm-hmm. Brian K. Vaughn, and uh, Why the Last Man. Out on him. Yeah, The Last Man. Bra- I've, I've read volume one of that. Bra- yeah, so it's like the uh, plague that kills everybody, right? But that's not the one. That's not the one with the mask. Um, it's, uh, it's called Private Eye. Um. And it sounds really, it's, it sounds sort of Cory Doctorowy. It's mm-hmm. a very strange format. Um, uh, I mean, I can't, it's not, it's not a book, but of yeah, course it's a book. A story. Yeah. It's a book. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Do you here. have one, uh, Paul? Oh, sorry. Um, I, I, yeah, why well, I, I do. I mean, we've, we've even done on SNF audio. Oh, which one's that? The Moon Boss. Mm. Ah, mm-hmm. yes. So, good call. This is the one that uh, I'm thinking of. But the reason they're wearing masks is not for um, health reasons. Well, it is, but indirectly, it's it's uh, to foil um, uh, facial recognition. Well, again, that's what happens in the moon moth because you know the. Hexo Hexo Angmark. Oh, that's good. Well, in that case, okay, to, yeah. Trying to keep trying to keep his identity secret by switching masks. And, right, but uh, that's uh, it's like it's more Cory Doctor rather than a particular individual criminal. Oh. I think. Well, but I also v, haven't read it. V for Vendetta. There you go. Yeah. You know, but that's political reasons, right? That's political. Yeah. Uh, I mean, also, he has a yucky face under the health reasons. Um, that's yeah. That's less uh, common. About uh, Dune. <laughs> I guess that's um, not a full mask. It's <laughs> for health reasons. But, yeah, but that, is for health, that is for health reasons. Yeah, but it's kind. not full. It's just a, a tube, I guess. So what did you think yeah. of the trailer before Marissa comes back? We can, I liked we can, it. We can slam I, I, it. I, 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 am, I am excited. I'm, I'm sad it's going to be in theaters, but only in theaters first. But, you know, because I'm not going to risk a theater in, in this COVID uh environment when is it coming out do we know it's supposed to be november can you hear me now yes yes all right so what's going on i don't know i switched computers and that fixed it so there's something up with my pc i guess all right well you are um coming in loud 
Um, well, I've been direct. Pretty clear, I think. Wow, now I'm surrounded by, like, plastic wrapping and cardboard boxes and cables from all the shit that I was like... So it's the garbage world. <laughs> the garbage world. Inside. Do you live, this, this like, like, do you live above a computer store or something? No, I actually, um, I think I told you, Jesse, that when I bought the Snowball mic, mm-hmm. I... It was faulty, so they sent me a replacement right, one, which right. was really cool. But they actually sent me two replacement ones. What? So, yeah. Nice. But, like, they made some mistake or whatever, so I've actually had this, like, spare one in my cupboard for ages. And I was wow. like, oh, I should just get that to someone or whatever. Well, yeah. I'm glad you had it. That's yeah. It. Backup snowball. Spare. <laughs> yeah. Spare snowball. This podcast semi-sponsored by... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the Yeti Corporation. But that wasn't the problem anyway. It was my computer. So. Yeah. I've, I've found a little lot of my problems uh, are caused by not enough power. <laughs> I just need more power, Marissa. If you give oh. me more power. So, like, USB ports, um, they need to be pow- fully powered. And so, like, if you get a USB hub and it's drawing any kind of power, it oh, needs really? to be its own powered USB source. <laughs> Um, and I spent a lot of times trying to f- solve these things, and basically, it's just it needs more power. Like it, yeah. li- it needs to have more electricity because a uh, a microphone doesn't draw that much, but then you plug three or four other things into it, and it, it and it's if it's not powered itself, it's so that's what mm-hmm. I I always do is try and upgrade my USB. I, I have a, I, I never like to have to unplug something, you know. Yeah, because it takes a minute to rejigger and figure out how to uh, find the new path. But just yeah, when you're if you're plugging something directly into your hard uh, into your computer, um, if that's the only thing in there, it's probably fine. But if there's two or three, four things in there, most power supplies on a regular computer don't seem to be. Um, they don't give you enough power huh. because you know when you're building a PC. Um, I, I don't, I've never built a Mac. I don't think most people do that. When you're building a PC, um, the companies that make them, like you buy your machine at Costco or whatever, they put just the, enough to run the machine, right? And then, and maybe you have enough to get a little bit more when you plug something, one thing into it, like a thumb, thumb drive or something, right? Oh. But because, uh, a bigger power supply requires more, uh, money, they will not do that. So it, what I tend to do when I get one of these machines is I either have it custom built, um, in which case I, I go over the recommended, or I buy a pre-built like at Costco, and then I just take it to the place and have them upgrade the, the power supply. It's interesting. I'm looking to that. Over-engineer it. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, why is my computer falling apart? Why is my computer not working? Like, a lot of the problems I've found, it's just more power. Yeah, although I haven't changed anything since the last time we've done podcasts. I've been... Right. It doesn't necessarily mean um, that that's your particular problem, but um, yeah. uh, if you got this backup computer, there might be a reason for it. <laughs> Everything goes bad. I keep thinking I I might be time to upgrade one of mine, but I haven't had the I'm, I'm wondering real excuse. if it's time for me to get a new computer as well. Uh-huh. I mean, just above above the mount of the problem because my computer's now approaching five years old, so it's getting up there. Yeah. So I need to 
I need to start pulling stuff off the hard drives and backing it up in anticipation of that potential uh, switch. Use, use more external hard drives. That's uh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I do have an external hard drive. I back up stuff too. A, I have one, two, out, three, four, running five, out of space six, on it. seven. Pictures take lots of space. I have seven like external hard drives right in front of me, and two wow. of them are eight terabytes, <laughs> and and two of them are full, <laughs> and the rest of them are not quite that right. full. I, I I can appreciate this. There's a, 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 a we need more power. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, maybe we should do a podcast. What do you think? Maybe we should do a podcast. I should start.